Hello, everyone. Welcome to the most recent edition of On the Couch with the Dogs Board, and I'm here with a very, very, very special guest. To be honest, he is the first person, if not once the first, but to be the first person that I've wanted to interview since I started this interview series. But as you can probably tell from the upcoming interview, what he's going to say, he's a very busy man. But without further ado, the master martial artist, martial arts teacher, public service worker, and all-around competitive martial arts fighter as well, Master Kobe Nelson. Thank you, sir. It's a very flattering intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, I would like to start off with this. What made you enter into the world of martial arts in the first place, Master Nelson? Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, that would be uh, bullying <laughs> um, all throughout I want to say elementary and that first year going towards middle school, which is when I started, believe the sixth grade, uh, about the beginning of last decade, I want to say, um, is when I got into it. You know, uh, basically when you're in some of these environments, you know, uh, you talk a little different, you might walk a little different. You know, and not everybody's going to say, oh, that's cool, that's unique, he's an interesting guy. Some of them are going to say, oh, this guy, what's he doing? Hey, let's go make fun of him. Let's maybe even hit him or whatnot. You know, so um you're looking for an answer at that point in your life. And it just so happened that the karate school that I went to was right down the road from my actual school right within walking distance so it kind of became clear what needed to be done after you know one too many encounters with these bullies well to be honest this is of the first time that when I, i've interviewed a martial artist that they told me that violence against themselves is one of their main motivating factors into getting into martial arts well again on behalf of Every young person, I apologize, Master Nelson, that you went through that. But with that being said, though, how has that shaped you in life period, including to your martial arts life? Well, um, that's basically helped everything always stay centered and focused on, you know, what's the most important thing in all this. And when I say that, it means that the first time I and maybe some of the other people that are out there that have done a martial art stepped in to the dojo, you know, the studio, they were looking to get that confidence, to feel better about themselves and to know that if they ever got confronted again, at least I know how to protect myself they're going to be met with some sort of resistance, you know. And you always think when you get to doing this for a certain length of time, you might get proficient in whatever it is that you're doing, your techniques and everything, but you have to always remember what it was like to be that first-timer in there, coming in without that confidence, looking for that answer. And that has always, you know, been in the back of my mind with everything I do in terms of teaching people, of course. I see those same types of kids all the time in classes that I teach coming in, and they don't really, you know, 
have that confidence to know, hey, I can defend myself or make this person back off if I needed to. And you have to keep yourself, you know, keep it in mind or keep it in your purview. You were that same way, you know. And then, of course, getting into adult life, you might say, you also want to keep in mind, hey, there's going to be bullies in the workplace or just generally people that think they can get away with things they really shouldn't be. And you're not going to maybe beat them up, but you're certainly going to have the confidence now to be able to stand up to them in a verbal sense. Uh, that's very well said. With that being said, what are the different styles that you are practicing in? Well, uh, I got kind of lucky with the first style I did um, because it was more of what you might call an eclectic system. Um, just the term was coined American Freestyle Karate, but uh, it encompassed Chinese Kempo. Uh, we also worked a lot of uh, trapping, which is what you would find in uh, Wing Chun systems or Chinese martial arts, uh, particularly uh, two-man drills like Chi Sao and things like that that you see oftentimes um, with things like, I guess I want to say Bruce Lee, uh, Guru Dan and Asano comes out of the JKD uh, side of things. But I've done that, and uh, also the weapon system that we practice, uh, founded by Master Roy Williams, is called uh, Lissajo Do. And uh, that's something that I've trained with. Definitely furthers all of our um, insight into the various weapons and just overall flow and range of motion. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I did do a couple of other styles, not as extensively um, as our main system that I got my black belt in. You know, like I did train a bit of Muay Thai. Uh, it also sort of supplemented what we already did. Mm. Well, that's extensive. But I see that you brought up Muay Thai. You know, there's another person who I've interviewed recently, uh, another martial arts master and fighter by the name of Markel Bell. We interviewed him at the tail end of last year. You know, he mentioned you in the interview. Just like you and I, you and him, you two have a very long history. Um, right. Do you mind speaking a bit about Mr. Bell and your relationship or, and how you two have gotten to know each other over the years? Absolutely. He's a great guy. By the way, he's the one who actually got me into that. Uh, him and another one of our friends out of the three who is named O'Shea, they went much further than I did, naturally. But um, as far as when we first met, yeah, he was actually a student of um, – Another karate instructor here in Jacksonville named uh, Sensei Jerry Williamson, and he was friends with my instructor. And when I was out there training, I want to say uh, was a purple belt, I believe, um, my instructor said, you should go over to Jerry Williams School because he's always got people for you to spar with because our, our uh, particular school was getting a little bit low on partners around that time. So uh, I went over one night, and I'm sure Markel mentioned this story to you. Of course, I go in there. He's already, you know, six foot, all legs, you know. He's in the Army, so he's in good shape with everything he's doing. <laughs> and uh, the first day we meet, uh, of course, we spar, you know, and I don't even think that we got a chance to talk before the sparring even started. <laughs> so that's always a good memory. Um 
he's definitely an excellent martial artist. He's always been a good friend, a good trainer. Again, he became the world champion in kickboxing. Again, he went very, very far with it. And I'm just always, you know, proud of his work ethic that he has in that area. Wow. <laughs> you told the story almost in a mirror image of how he told it. But similarly to that, though, since I know you have a competitive history in terms of competitive fighting, but also within the acting world, do you mind maybe giving a small pedigree explanation on both of those worlds? Uh, Yes, sir. Well, uh, with the competitive aspect of everything, um, I first started competing in 2014. And um, at that time, we didn't have too many people from my school that were actually going out there um, on the international type circuit. Uh, first, I started out uh, locally, which is everything that's going on here in Florida. You know, and the reason I did that is basically because uh, my instructor, he would say, you know, you're doing fine for where you are in terms of, you know, being a good student in the dojo. And when you start to think that you're the best in a room, you know, in one single room, that's one room out of hundreds in this city, let alone the state, then you get a little bit confused. So you got to go out there and see the world, you might say. And so I did. And that started first on the local level with um, the events they would do here in Jacksonville, uh, a bit of the, uh, I want to say the PAL events and these NFMAA events, that's North Florida Martial Arts Association, uh, those tournaments would be going on. And I won my first four in 2014 through 2015. And the first time I actually got second place was at the U.S. Open, which is, of course, a world tournament. And I was a green belt at that time. I got second place. Um, but out of all of these, you know, you always get a little bit better the more you do them. At each tournament, you learn something. As we often say, you never lose. You learn, you know. So every one of them, every single match, every single event, you know, win, lose, or draw, there's something that was taken away from that. And the big thing that, that I took away from competing was to think deeply about the world, you know. It's one thing to see a video of somebody doing something that's impressive, but to actually see them do it right in front of you, you realize, oh, wow, there is so much more talent that surpasses what I'm doing, you know, and that is very, very valuable. Wow. Okay. But uh, do you mind also speaking about your acting history or stunt history, too? Because there's a project recently that I've seen you in for a few seconds, but I forgot what the actual name of it was. You blink and you'll miss it. The name was a movie called Hitters. It's H-I-T-T-A-Z. And uh, that was actually produced by my buddy Dennis, who's also a martial artist, um, MMA fighter here in Jacksonville. And um, he's done more projects uh, than just that, by the way. And what's good about that is he, he'd asked me to do it and have a little part in it, which was very, very good because, um, there were a couple other, um, movies, believe it or not, 
that I was actually supposed to be in that were non-martial arts related. Um, but they never materialized for one reason or another. Uh, the one that I just about had with my, all but my ink to the, uh, page was a little movie called Reefer Madness, which is a remake of a movie from the 50s, I believe. It's like an anti-drug PSA, and they wanted me to be in that. Uh, but it just never worked out. So when, um, Dennis asked me, it really was perfect because he's in town. And, um, that was technically the debut. You know, you might say, uh, being able to do that. And when we worked on it, uh, of course, I have a very minor part there. <laughs> and uh, what you saw was probably everything with it. But what was good about that was to get to see, you know, sort of uh, working with people in uh, another medium, other than just trying to hit them. I hit you, there it was. No, you were trying to sort of choreograph something. You know, and that's an art form in itself. I'm sure you've seen numerous martial arts movies before. Well, you know, when you work on a set like that, you deepen your appreciation for what they go through. It's very, very difficult, you know, to set it up to where you don't hit the person and they sell the hit or you hold out a technique an inch or two from somebody. You know, that was a skill set in itself, and I'm definitely looking to do more of those and, you know, get some stunt work done uh i have a friend actually his name's justin lee ford and he uh is a stunt guy he's up in atlanta georgia and he's we were talking about maybe doing some things with that uh get my foot in the door so uh hopefully i can have some good news for you eventually oh well i would love to hear and i know our listeners will too but <laughs> I'm about to ask a question that, you know, most likely why a good bit of the viewers, if not the majority of them, would love to hear. Yes. As everyone, or I know a good portion of the people know, you are the master, owner, creator, and head teacher for a martial arts school called Kobe's Karate Club. You know, you are the first black karate instructor who owns and runs their own school that I've interviewed so far. So thank you for helping uh, make history in that regard, sir. But please uh, tell the history on how you became a martial arts teacher and you created and, and re essentially run your own school. Yes, sir. Uh, well, before I do, I'm uh, honored to have some historical mark on the show. That's, you know, really good to hear. <laughs> but uh, this started really um, – I want to say in 2017, but before that, the precursor to this, again, was working with my instructor. Uh, my first teacher's name was Lee Barton. Uh, he passed away not too long ago in 2017. But we had a school in Ponte Vedra, right out near the beach. And when I would go out there with him, because we lived so close together, I'd ride in his car and we'd go out there, um, I became sort of his assistant instructor, and it wasn't quite planned, but it just sort of worked out that way, you know, because he noticed me one day helping out the kids and teaching sort of a beginner class, and this is actually something a lot of people don't know, is uh, at that time I was a purple belt, and it was just us one day, and I was teaching an intro class with some young kids, and he had noticed it, 
and he was really impressed. I think it was the first time uh, he'd actually seen me teach. And he said, from this moment on, you are now a brown belt. And just like that, he made me a brown belt. And yeah. he mentioned that you could be an excellent school owner. I have total faith in you on that. And when he said that, you know, that is what sowed the seed for just after, you know, a year, about about a year after he passed, unfortunately, due to cancer. I never forgot what he said. And I never forgot all the work and the plans that we were, you know, trying to establish from that school and from him saying that. I was going, I was ready to go full tilt being an instructor then, but it didn't quite work out. But he said, oh, you could do it. And, you know, when your instructor says something, it just totally, you know, puts uh, some fuel in your tank, you might say. It was a big, you know, boost in terms of the self-esteem. So I felt like there's no better time to get this started than now. You know, no one else is really kind of picking up on, you know, starting up any type of teaching. And I always wanted to do that because it's one thing to just, you know, keep on being a competitor. You know, you're going out there for you, and that's okay. But I wanted to give, you know, like we said in the beginning, all those things that I got out of the martial arts, those benefits, the confidence of knowing that you can protect yourself and you have something that you can feel good about, there's so many people who need that. And what good would it do me to just, you know, keep on holding it back or working at some job, you know, and all those benefits that could be given to the person that I'm servicing at this job, you know. So I felt like there was just no other option for me. There's no other calling than just getting out there and teaching because I love karate and I love to help people. That's excellent. That's excellent. One thing about it, <laughs> I have technically, in a way, been on the journey with you because you have. You know, I, I, yeah, I, you've been in constant contact with me, especially over the past few years, concerning how everything is going. You know, the ups and downs and everything. But, and also, you know, the name changes as well. But seeing your motivation. And even the motivation you've given me with the support and different advice you've tried giving me over the years has always been very, very, very heartwarming in a way. Because one thing about it, Kobe, is that I love seeing young black people, especially young black men, because of how disenfranchised we are, and seeing them being entrepreneurial, but not just being entrepreneurial, but things concerning education, concerning martial arts and even when it comes to history of, because you know, uh, black people, even though many people try to hide it, our mm -hmm. connection to martial arts goes back to the dawn of history and creation. Right. right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. dawn, even though most people may not know that, or they try mm -hmm. to hide it, you know, it goes back to the dawn of it. So just the fact that you, as a young black man, has gone as far as you have to push martial knowledge and to push health and everything else surrounding that has been great, Kobe. So I give you kudos, and I know many people do as well. But what has been some of the struggles that you've been through being the owner and head teacher of a martial arts school? 
Uh, well, the struggles in the very beginning and still even now sometimes, uh, they're numerous, but the ones that, uh, will start, that stand out, uh, was the first time I started teaching. And of course you have been on this journey, so you may have seen these photos. Um, mm -hmm. there was no location, meaning not even a physical building, not even a community center. Um, what I did to get students <laughs> was I worked at the Gateway Publix, which I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, I was an employee there, and my first students were employees who were there, uh, about two of, two of them at the start, and then I got uh, three others that were sort of on and off, you know, so there was only five students for basically a year. And the way you would get them at the time, you know, being back then, there were, I didn't have any type of uh, really marketing knowledge or the business side. I just knew karate, and I was a competitor at that same time. You know, I was going in and out of town to uh, the different NASCA events. You know, you know, it was a split focus in those days. But the challenge was always getting people to understand this is an actual, you know, dojo you know they're like oh no i'm just walking in man we're gonna work out and uh, i get to go home when i feel like it. i know there's a schedule you know and they couldn't you know some people in the beginning couldn't really wrap their mind around that type of structure because we were outdoors the uh class in the very beginning we did it in the front yard of one of my students grand uh grandparents houses <laughs> and the yard wasn't always cut it was right off moncrief road so that right there stopped us from getting any, um, I want to see, you might say, high-profile students. Um, another thing is I moved to Ronnie Miller Park, you know, and we were still struggling to actually get people. The, the problem in the beginning was there was no marketing. There was just nothing. There was me going up to, you know, a coworker and yanking their chain, basically saying, hey, man, I'm teaching. You should come out here. That was all it was in the very beginning, you know, and the rate back then was $20 a week, and there were three classes a week. <laughs> so there was no real room for growth in the beginning. That was the big challenge is self-inflicted issues in the beginning. You know, um, the big other challenge was just no facility, so people were out there in the heat. You know, some people didn't want to work out that way. Uh, you were subject to the weather. So if it rained, guess what? You canceled it. You know, um, then there was also, you know, and this is, uh, kind of another shocking thing. When I first started teaching that, the first, uh, I want to say four or five months, you know, I wasn't even a black belt yet, if you can believe that. <laughs> yeah, I was a brown belt teaching, so, if you did manage to convince somebody to come out in those days, they say, whoa, 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 hold on, what is this? He's not even a black belt. What's happening here? You got to get into a long explanation about it all, you know. Oh, well, there was this and this going on and, um, you know, this and that. And some people didn't let the material speak for itself in the very beginning. We've graduated past all those problems, as you can see, but... um when we reflect on that, and this is something for any business owners, you know, and entrepreneurs, and we know a lot, you know, between the two of us, is so I just want to tell you know, our listeners, 
don't give up in the beginning. You've got to be tenacious, you know, and work past these obstacles. Because so long as you stay involved and stay consistent, everyone around you will see that this just wasn't a quick cash grab. You're really in it for the long haul. And the longer you stay, you'll basically be a rolling stone. You'll accumulate knowledge. You'll learn, you know, what not to do and how to address people in a professional way. As long as you stay with it, don't give up and be interested and uh, further in your education on your respective field. Wow, that's very well said. But so where is your school located at currently? You don't mind me asking. Oh, no problem. For the listener. Yeah. Well, right now uh, we're over in the Riverside area, so we kind of uh, moved a little bit uh, over, not too far from anyone since um, – Downtown's typically not too far. Uh, we're right uh, in what would be considered sort of a garage-type area, um, and that's off of May Street, right through the passage of Five Points. And what I'm doing there is basically uh, giving everybody sort of a good hub they can work out in. Uh, it's owned by a condo association, you know, so it's very nice of them to sort of allow us to be there, you know, but we are um, going to actually be hoping to grow and relocate uh, in the next few months to um, the church that on uh, the address just escaped me there, which is totally bad, but this is actually a new development. Uh, we're going to be hoping to move there hope, pretty soon. Uh but our address right now, we're 1515, and that is on uh, May Street. Okay. Well, Kobe, that, to be honest with you, is my last question. But one thing that I would like to tell the listeners and viewers of the YouTube version, if and most likely when we have Mr. Kobe on the show again, we are definitely going to dwell into his story on how he eventually got his black belt. I heard a good bit of the story myself personally, but I know people would love to hear it, Kobe. He'll <laughs> <the> story. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a a movie plot or something. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. But before I close, Master Nelson, is there anything you would like to say to us, seeing like the secret viewers ask us, ask the viewers, anything of that nature, any last comments? Well, uh, yes. Um, I want to say for everybody, you know, that the number one thing, you know, that we should be sort of seeking out, you know, for ourselves in these different career options that we have, you know, as so many people that I know, uh, they're kind of sort of in limbo on what they want to do with their life. I think that you should always be looking for the thing that you feel is your God-given passion, not necessarily um, just trying to make money. We got to do that, though. There's no doubt on that. But what you want to think about is you could just go to Amazon and put enough hours in and make money. But who wants to do that all of their life? You know, there's more to it than just paying bills. So you should really hone in on what is the thing that I'm most passionate about in my life? What is the thing that I know I would never get tired of and I could uh, 
fixate listeners for hours on end talking about or doing, you find that thing and you figure out how to be a professional at that particular, you know, uh, endeavor, activity, whatever it might be. And when you find out how to be a professional from it, you'll never have to work again. And that's sort of the goal that we've got, uh, you know, you and I, uh, as you know, uh, with what you do, that's the goal and that's the same with what I do. You know, you let your passion become your career and it's never a job, it's never a chore. And that's the best, most stress-free way to live, you know. We don't just love this stuff for nothing. There's a purpose behind our feelings and, you know, our affinities for things. So you find out what that passion is. Find out how you can be a professional and don't give up until you get where you want to be in your life. Thank you. And I thank you personally, but I know the viewers also do as well. Like I said, Kobe, it has been a honor to have you on the show, but really an honor to know you and and to see how far you've come. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm glad that we could finally, you know, get it going. Uh, it's been great to be on, you know, and I'm so proud of how your show has grown, you know, and the people you've got. It has taught me a lot, too, you know. You've got different educators there, and uh, I'm proud of it. I Really am thankful that you had me on here. Yes, sir. Well, thank you again. Uh, oh, mm -hmm. before I forget, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> what are the different social media handles that they can follow you in your school and different things of that nature on? Um, you can find us, of course, on Facebook. That's probably where you'll see the most of everything. Uh, Colby's Karate Club. Now, uh, you're going to want to spell Colby with a K for this. Um that actually was a funny thing, really quick. Uh, Grandmaster Roy Williams, he just sort of advised me one day, he gave me a call on the phone, he said, you should spell it with a K, make it flow a little bit better. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So, yeah, when you spell it on Facebook, it's Colby Karate Club, and then it's the same on Instagram, Colby's Karate Club. And we could definitely use uh, some engagement with Instagram. So you can find us on those two the two primary platforms, definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, everyone, the links to those will be in the description. And also, you will have pictures as well too, for you to be able to recognize it on the YouTube version of this interview. But with that being said, thank you, everyone, for listening. This will be on the download and streaming platforms first and then YouTube soon after. But Dr. Clark... And Master Nelson, signing out. Have a great day. Thank you.